0: The devastation caused by the explosion was like a hundred days of war in one moment. All those sh- like shelling's wouldn't do like uh, this kind of damage. It's crazy. It's nothing anyone here has ever experienced.
1: You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jaz O'Hara. And together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions, and languages, to hear from the people with which we share this world. Our worldwide tribe. World was shocked by the footage of last week's explosion in Beirut. It hardly looked real. But amongst the thousands of videos of the blast and the statistics being reported in the press internationally, are the hundreds of thousands of people who have been impacted by the tragedy. In the aftermath of the explosion, Beirut has been on my mind constantly. I was there around this time last year with my lovely friend and colleague Catherine, who was teaching English to Syrian kids there through one of the Worldwide Tribe's partner organizations, SB Overseas. Sb Overseas are an incredible group who have supported the city's most vulnerable for years. Whilst Catherine and I were there together, we ate amazing food and smoked shisha and worked hard too. But best of all, we met incredible people. Over the last few days, the stories that I've heard from these same people are devastating. Today you'll hear from two of these people, Lebanese rapper Jeff and Syrian refugee Ahmed Hafez. Both of them call Beirut home. For any of you who have never been to Beirut or don't know anyone there, it's natural that the events of last week might feel far away. But I appreciate you for being here and for opening your hearts and your minds to these important voices and to Beirut and its people. They need us right now. I guess what I've taken away from these conversations is that Beirut will never be the same again and that everyone there will carry the events of the 4th of August 2020 with them forever. But they will make it through this. Here's my conversation with Jeff, a Lebanese rapper and director at Beirut Records, to give you a first-hand perspective. Jeff's home in a neighborhood called Jamnazi, a pretty central buzzing area of the city where I actually stayed last year, has been completely destroyed. Our phone connection's not great, but it's the best that we could do whilst he had no electricity in the house that he's currently staying in, up in the mountains just outside of Beirut.
0: Yeah, the generator's not turning on.
1: So has that been a thing this whole week with the electricity?
0: It's been a thing for years.
1: <laughs> okay, so it's not related to the explosion?
0: Uh, well, uh, when it comes to the explosion, it's probably made it worse, obviously. Yeah, it's definitely made it worse. Right now I'm in the mountains. We had to move up here because uh, we can't really live in our house down there.
1: You weren't in your house when the blast happened, were you?
0: No, actually, um, the only person that was in my house was my aunt, because she was uh, quarantining for a few days because she just got here from the U.S. Mm-hmm. So we all came up here while she was uh, staying down there alone. It was a miracle she wasn't severely hurt. You know, she just came out with um, a few bruises and some cuts. She's she's very lucky.
1: I took a few minutes to explain to Jeff at the beginning of our conversation that the aim of this podcast episode was for you guys, as the listeners, to get more of an insight into the situation on the ground in Beirut and to connect with it on a more human level.
0: The thing is, when it comes to people abroad, they get a little detached. They don't understand that, you know, people here are just like them. They live through very similar things. We feel the same things, the same pains, the same joys what happened two days ago finally broke us at least for me definitely broke me uh, i'm heartbroken i couldn't speak for uh two days you know just uh i couldn't really find the words i still can't really find the words i would, i feel like crying but i physically can't i physically can't cry a couple of days ago when i finally went back down to I start cleaning the house, I broke down, you know, I I broke down because I saw, uh, I saw some horrible sights, you know, like when it, w- it was literally like Armageddon, you know, like it was a, it felt like the end of the world, you know. It's a city I grew up in, it was the house I grew up in, I was raised in it. You know, and it was uh, uh, it was wiped out. We we have a house in the mountains that we can stay in. Uh, that's more than I can say for so many people. You know, uh, that's more than I can say for most people. Like, so I, I try to count the blessings, but uh, the, there's no words to describe the um, the anger I feel. That uh, it's plain and simple. It's murder. It's not an accident. The government, they can call it an accident. They can call it an attack. But the fact of the matter is they kept thousands of tons of ammonium nitrate in a container in a dock where so many people live, like in the, in the middle of the city. You know, like it's like, like right, right there, right in the right in the capital.
1: Do you, do you feel that the general sentiment of the people around you and your family and, and people that you know in the city is similar to you? That people feel angry?
0: Oh, everyone's uh, everyone's really really furious. Uh, the government hasn't cared about us ever. The people that died aren't martyrs.
1: Mm.
0: They're victims. They didn't choose to die. They were just living life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're victims of negligence.
1: Jeff's not alone in his thinking here. Since last Friday, thousands of protesters have taken to the streets of Beirut, demanding the fall of the government in the wake of the blast. I went on to ask Jeff about the day that the explosion happened.
0: It was just a regular day. People were just going about the business. You know, like we, I, was, I was over here. I was actually in this room when we heard it and we felt it. Like the first thought. That came to my mind is like okay, war started. It's Israel again. That was the first thought that came to mind. Then uh, we start getting like news from from Beirut, saying there was an explosion at the port. It was humongous. Uh, first thought that came to our minds was uh, our aunt. Right away, we, me, my mother, and my sister, we got into the car, and uh, we went down there. When, when we got like near to the house, there was so much traffic. There were people like running around the streets, screaming and the blood everywhere, blood, glass, every, everything around was was destroyed. It was, uh, it was crazy. Like me and my sister, we couldn't wait in traffic anymore. We just got out of the car and started running towards the house. When we got into the house, well, we got to the building, all we see is like glass everywhere. The gates were destroyed. The door to the building was completely blown in. They were like literally next to the stairs. We live on the eighth floor and we were going up the stairs and it was just like a it was like a horror movie. Uh every every floor we went through we'd see the houses, the, the apartments completely completely wrecked, uh our neighbors completely bloodied, there's blood all over the stairs. Eventually, we found we found my my aunt. She was at a neighbor's. We were very happy to see her rel- relatives safe. When we got to when we got to the top floor where my apartment is, it, uh, it was almost unrecognizable.
1: In the aftermath, what's the first thing that you kind of, of course you went to go and see your aunt and find her, but I mean, it must've been chaos because there must be so many people that you know that were affected, right?
0: On the day it happened, the sun was going down. It happened at 6 p.m., around 6 p.m.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When we were able to get down there through the, the road and the traffic from the, the mountains, it was about 7 p.m. and it was still light, but like as we were like gathering what we could because... We didn't know whether people were going to start going into the houses uh, and stealing. So we, were, we had to gather up all the valuable things we had and take them, put them in luggages and then leave. And we had to carry the luggage down eight flights of steps and try to get get to our car that was parked really far away. On the way to the car, it was just craziness. So all, all we could see were people like running around. Helping each other, trying to get get the wounded into the ambulances, a lot of traffic, even in the cars, you know, you see people wrapped up, bleeding. People just like trying to go through the rubble and the glass, trying to pick up the pieces of what's left of their lives. The next day we just, I mean, we had to, we had to leave right away because like at the there was no electricity at all mm-hmm. like and we were caught, like the whole plate, the whole apartment was just covered in glass so we, we couldn't see anything so we just took what we could and uh, we went down the next morning and started cleaning up over the past few days the Lebanese people just came together and started cleaning up uh, each other's houses you know like uh, people from all around Lebanon Came down, started cleaning up the roads, the houses, the apartments.
1: So there's actually been, I mean, I, bet I can imagine the most incredible solidarity between people. And that must fill your heart. I mean, just even hearing about it is just, it makes me want to cry.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, Jaz. Uh, everyone's been crying. Some people don't even have tears anymore to cry. Like I said, I broke down. uh, What I saw, what I experienced on on Tuesday was uh, something else.
1: Have you seen a lot of people from outside of Beirut going to one help with the efforts to to clean up and two for the for the protests?
0: Of course. Uh, Look, uh, in in Lebanon right now, the all, all we have is each other. The people got the people's backs. We can't rely on the government for anything. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm tired. I'm, uh, I'm, emotionally, I'm physically, I'm mentally drained. I was born in the U.S. I can leave whenever I want, but this is my country. These are my people. I love my country. I love my people. I want to live around my people. I want to build a life for myself here. But this place doesn't allow you to do that.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about your life in Beirut? Like how long have you lived in Lebanon and what do you do?
0: I've been living here uh, almost my whole life. You know, uh, I was born in the U.S., my parents met in the U.S. Uh, because they both fled the war. Most of my family still lives there, uh, like all of my mom's side and half of my dad's side. But I've been living here uh, since 1995. It's weird because over here, like, I'm considered more American. And over there, I'm considered Lebanese. You know, like, I am i don't have, like, a general home, <laughs> you know, like, where people consider me, like... A, a part of them. But like, for me, it's, it's here, you know, this is my home. I was raised here.
1: I was in Beirut this time last year, actually, with Catherine, and um, I just yeah. want to give a little bit of an overview of the city for people who haven't been there and don't know anyone there because, you know, it's, it's a beautiful city, very cosmopolitan, and, you know, you can find real wealth and, and real poverty in the same place, like in a lot of cities, um, but also signs of the turbulent history, I guess, are quite evident. Um, but how has your life up till now been in, in Beirut?
0: Well, life in Beirut, uh, in Lebanon, if you're able to make a good life for yourself, then it's definitely, in my opinion, the best place to live. The nightlife, the people, the hospitality, the food, the landscape, uh, the nature. In general, like I, I don't think there's another place in the world like this that might be a little biased. Like The, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And the economic collapse caused a lot of hardship for for the people and the effects of covid obviously
1: i've been reading that you know even before this happened that you guys have been in the worst economic crisis since the war right and
0: yeah it was we were already in an economic crisis even before covid hit Mm -hmm. covid 19 hit made it even worse and now this the port is gone it's it exploded and that's uh they practically killed us, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. You mean in terms of imports and exports, basically? Yeah. That's, that's where the money
0: comes in. Like, uh, like that's the port, you know, like that's where we import and export food comes in, the goods come in and go out. We, we still have one in the North, but when you cut the import and export by half like that, when we were already in an economic crisis, you're, we're going to fall into some deep, the the
1: problems. Mm. Have you had a chance to collect your thoughts on kind of what happens now? You know, like what are the challenges that the city will face in the aftermath, apart from the obvious ones, of course, like, as you say, cutting imports and exports by half.
0: And, and the, at, the, at this point, everyone's living day by day. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, we clean up, we mourn, we mourn the losses.
1: Mm-hmm one day at a time one moment at a time jeff I, I just i hope that the strength in communities and people will i mean i know that it will be what gets everyone through this and you're right to just take it day by day and minute by minute and i'm i'm behind you i wish i could be there alongside you all i think a lot of the of the world are are you're in our, our thoughts and we're all thinking about you i wish there was more that we could do I really appreciate you sharing this with me today and I think that it's very important that people far and wide hear your story, hear hear these words, hear what's happening on a human level and yeah as I say I appreciate you a lot for this.
0: No problem, thank you for having me.
1: Okay so I know that was a hard one to listen to Next, I spoke to Ahmed Hafez, a Syrian refugee who has been living in Beirut since 2018 when he fled compulsory military service in his hometown of Aleppo. Ahmed Hafez represents the huge refugee population living in and around Beirut. An estimated up to 1 million Syrians live in the city, and around 1.5 million Syrians live across Lebanon. Ahmed Hafez and I met last year while he is also a teacher at SB overseas with Catherine. Sitting at the back of his classes was always so much fun because his energy and positivity is just totally infectious. He's now the communications officer for SB Overseas, who focus mainly on education and empowerment for displaced people in Lebanon, predominantly Syrians and Palestinians. In Beirut, SB Overseas run a beautiful school for the Syrian children living in Shatila refugee camp, which I had the pleasure of spending some time in last year. Even though Shatila Camp is pretty far outside of the city centre, its residents were still impacted by the explosion and Ahmed Hafez explains the heartbreaking effects on his community. In the aftermath of the explosion, SB Overseas have shifted their focus to support the city's most vulnerable with their urgent needs, including Lebanese residents. Their work is absolutely incredible and invaluable, but I'll let Ahmed Hafez explain more. Hello. Hello
2: hello oh wait my hair is not I'm sorry
1: <laughs> don't worry this is only going to be audio so okay I don't no mind. problem <laughs> how are you
2: well after that c- catastrophe it's so bad like, my heart are, like is on the people like they don't have a place they're really literally displaced now
1: I mean, there were so many people displaced already, it's like, you know, yeah, I know, adding to the situation in the city.
2: Exactly. Now, we'll see a lot of people on the streets, and I'm pretty sure about this. I'm ready to tell you exactly what happened during the, the the explosion and how it happened and what we felt, like, everything. So ask me whatever you want, and I'm ready to answer everything from a human perspective.
1: Amazing. You're such a star. Yeah, well, like, maybe let's start from the beginning. Maybe it's worth introducing yourself. Um, my name is
2: Ahmad Hafiz. I've been in Lebanon since 2018. I'm a fashion designer, and now I'm holding the communication officer position in SB Overseas. It's an organization that works in Lebanon since, like, I think, 2010. And we've been working with uh, Syrian, Palestinian refugees and Lebanese people who couldn't afford to living in Lebanon I've been in Lebanon as I said since 2018 I've worked in a lot of places but lastly as I said in SB Overseas I started as a teacher and then and now the communication officer
1: So you're not teaching the kids anymore
2: Well the kids are in my heart now I'm like empowering another teachers to like to teach the kids
1: Yeah you stepped up a level <laughs> Yes
2: thank you yeah exactly
1: it's great. Well, I mean, you're an amazing teacher from what I am Thank seen. you so much. Like, this is something that I'm proud of. And Ahmed, how long ago did you say that you came to Lebanon?
2: Um, it was quite three years. Yes, 2018.
1: And it was so that you didn't have to go into military service, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So... I didn't want to be involved in any sides, like not even in Assad's side or any other sides. So I I always wanted to look for peace. I always wanted peace for my country and for all the people who live in Syria. So if I was in any side, I will be killing the other people who's basically, they're Syrians. Like we're all one nation, we're all Syrians. So I didn't want to be involved in any side to not be a murderer or a murderer. So because of that, I escaped. I didn't want to stay there. Adding to that, the war. I don't want to die in that country. I want to be living in a a peaceful place and also helping people. So that's why I moved out. Like, I couldn't stay anymore.
1: Did you leave with your family?
2: No, I left with my brother and the other brother followed me like after one year.
1: So you're with your two brothers now?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: How has life been for you in Lebanon?
2: Actually, it was quite rough at the beginning. But now now I'm stable. At the beginning, people used to like, ah, oh, you're Syrian, from my accent, from my dialect. But now I changed my dialect a little bit. People started to accept me a little bit. And as I said at the beginning, it was quite hard. And now it's... Like, for me, it's good, but maybe for other people who's Syrian, actually, it's, not, it's still hard for them, since they are being judged by the Lebanese, as I can say.
1: And also, there's very few rights for Syrian refugees in Lebanon, right?
2: Yes, you're not able to do anything. Like, even if you had someone, for example, robbed you, uh, stole your money or something, when you go to the police department... They just say like all the people around you just advise you to not go because you will have like a further problems. One from the police department side, second from the, from the people who stole you. So it's better for you to shut your mouth and stay calm and forget about it.
1: So actually you're not protected by the system in Lebanon, basically as a Syrian. Exactly. I'd love to talk a little bit about the kids and the many of the people that live in Shatila camp that you work with. These pure hearts, like I can't, like
2: I can't call them any names other than pure hearts. They used to have their basic rights, but now during quarantine during COVID-19 and now this catastrophe happened in Lebanon. Now, I don't know how they can afford living actually because during the COVID-19 situation, we've been in lockdown and the dollar the dollar rate has increased 10 times what it used to be like it was 1050 per dollar now it's 10000 per dollar aside from that all of their parents are not working right now so i don't know how they can afford living where they can get money from they're just depending on this organizations that they are giving them like 1 kilo of rice per month like for god's sake how you can like i don't know so can't live on rice you know exactly these kids they're not having any any kind of education any kind of healthy food now you will you will see a lot of homeless people in the streets yeah so imagine
1: no it breaks my heart it absolutely breaks my heart because those. I'm sorry kids- i'm sorry
2: that it breaks your heart but This is the fact that the Syrian and Palestinian people in Shatila exactly are facing. Aside from the electricity, uh, electricity cut off, because it's, it's been like 20 hours of electricity off.
1: So four hours of electricity a day and that's all? Exactly, four hours of electricity a day and poisoned water,
2: since the electricity is not on, so all the water, it's not filtered. So all the water filters are not working properly. So they're, literally they're, they're putting a poison water on, them, on themselves and they're drinking a bad water during the day, aside from the food, as I said.
1: It's like, you know, what hope do they have? And that was even before Corona and before what happened exactly. this
2: week. Now increase this situation 10 times. So imagine how they're living right now.
1: Let's talk a little bit then about this week. Tell me the story. Where were you when the explosion happened? And maybe let's start from there. I was at my friend's house, Sam, and
2: I was like sitting by the window and I heard a small explosion followed by an aircraft flying, actually. And it it wasn't only me who heard that. It was my friend. It was also my friend's sister. So I've heard that small explosion followed by the aircraft sound, like flying. And I was like, what is that sound? He said, I don't know. Do you think something bad happened or this aircraft bombed somewhere? We experienced this in Syria before, and we know what aircraft sounds and we know what explosion sounds. And we've like, we felt that pressure, you know, there is a pressure of wind. So I moved to the other room to ask his other sister. Like I asked her, did you hear something? Do you hear that? And she was like, no, I didn't hear anything. And while she was saying that, I felt my ears will blow up, ex- literally. I was on the floor, and everybody starts to scream. Everything starts to shake. And I'm like, oh, my God, is it Israel? Is it Israel? Is it Israel? Because the first thing came to my mind is Israel since the lattice. Problems happen on the borders between Israel and Lebanon. And I'm like, I don't want to die here. I don't want to die. I, I I survived in Syria. I don't want to die here. Like, it's a peaceful place. That's the only thoughts in my mind. I I was scared, like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And then, like, I literally, I felt like my spine is coming out of my body. I felt something is falling on me, but it was nothing because... It was only the pressure. I felt the building is collapsing on on us, but it was nothing. It was just only the, the wind pressure. When it finished, the electricity cut off, and I felt like, what's happening? And my friend's mother was on the other house because they have two houses in this building. And my friend's sister starts to open a door, but it wasn't opening since the pressure has affected on the doors. And so she starts to scream, mom, mom. And we heard a lot of glasses like falling down. You know the situation when everything is moving slowly and like you see everything in slow?
1: Yes, slow motion.
2: Yes, in slow motion. This is exactly what I was experiencing. This is what I was going through. And she opened a door and she saw her mom and I was like, Thanks God. Then a lot of rumors starts to, to spread, like, oh my gosh, Israel hit us. Then other people said it was a bombing in downtown. Until the electricity came back, and we know that it was an explosion in Beirut port. So this is how it happened. I'm sorry
1: wow no you told that amazingly and i just i can't even imagine so did you feel like you knew those feelings from being in syria that's what it was reminiscent of exactly
2: that's why i was telling you that i survived syria why it's happening again here what, like what i did is something wrong here is it the same as syria are we going back to the same situation in syria is it coming back again that's all the thoughts it was in my mind.
1: Did you feel fear?
2: Sure, I was like terrified, not only feared. I was, I was like, I don't want to die. Like this is exactly, I think this is the extreme feeling of fear. Like you don't want to die. That's the only thing you want now.
1: Yeah, like that feeling of when you're close to death and everything exactly. is heightened.
2: Exactly.
1: Also, you're not even close to where the, the blast happened, right? We were not close, but not that much far. Did it have an impact on the buildings and the houses around you, like windows like, and stuff?
2: Yes, all the windows are collapsed. And um, yeah, now we're covering all the windows with, uh, with sheets and uh, blankets and, you know,
1: So after you found out what had happened, um, when the electricity came back and you actually heard the news, what did you guys do then? I guess like lots of people that you know, friends around you had been affected. I
2: started to check on every single person I know in Lebanon. The first thing came to my mind is the kids in Shatila. Like, oh my gosh, did something bad to him happen? What's their situation? I checked on one of the people who works in SB. She's She's the cleaning lady. Her name is Anoud, because I know one of her kids have a trauma because of Syria. Like, I don't know what they call it, a uh, psychological shock?
1: Yeah, like
2: PTSD. Exactly. I don't know what is the, the like the actual diagnostics. Yeah, diagnosis.
1: Yeah, diagnosis.
2: Yes, exactly. I don't know what is the exact name of it, but what I know is that whenever he hears, like, high noises, he... he He got into a trauma, like, ah, I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to do anything. You know, the situation, I don't know what's name, what's the actual name of it, but I phoned her like, is everything is okay? Is everything is fine? She said, my son is running, is spinning in the room, screaming, get me out of this country, get me out of this country. And he's Mm. putting his fingers in his ears and he's screaming all the, like all around, like, ah, I don't want it. I don't want it. What's happening in Arabic? So I was like, calm him down, try to tell him that it's just a fireworks happened outside. And how old is he? I think he's nine years old. Uh, Now he's better. Like he's calm now. Thanks God. But like our, our psychologist has supported him and she's been with him during this five days. Thanks God. But it's a trauma for them. It's, mm It's, it's hard, you
1: know? Yeah, I can imagine that for so many of the kids, like, you know, if if adults are terrified, of course the kids are terrified too, right?
2: This is the first person or the first kid that I could reach. But what about the other kids? Even in Shatila, it's a very far place from there. It's been affected by the windows by by the doors, like the doors has opened immediately and the, the windows is shattered everywhere. So not in all the houses, but there is a majority of people, like 70% of Shatila, of Shatila's uh, windows are shattered because it's not a well constructed place. You know, I think you saw it before. Like it's not that good constructor mm-hmm. to, to have a good resistance to these explosions
1: yeah of course it's like buildings built on top of each other a bit makeshift exactly. anyway so if something like this happens like i can i can with one punch
2: destroy this building so imagine this pressure happened
1: yeah there's the actual impact on the walls and the buildings and the doors and the windows but then there's the impact on people mentally not just exactly. physically right
2: exactly that's what i that's what i wanted to say thank you so much for making it better in english this is impacting people psychologically much more than like what happened on the field like mm-hmm. the windows and all of that it is like it, it it will affect on the people but not as much as psychologically you know this thing will stay in our minds forever this will never be erased
1: Ahmed Hafez started telling me about his visits to the buildings close to the site of the blast.
2: Most of the buildings has collapsed, and other buildings have, like, half of it has collapsed, but other buildings, they're still stents, but it's very delicate right now. Like, I, I know people, like, I visited them in the houses, they're telling me, This wall is not stable, but what we should do, it's the only place that we have. So imagine, and they're Syrian, they're living close to the explosion, because there is a place called Karantina next to the explosion, filled by Syrian people who lives close to the port, who works in the port.
1: So tell me about after the explosion, the last few days, have you been involved in the cleanup operation? Have you been out on the streets? Busy and doing much? How have the last few days looked for you? Actually,
2: yes. SB Overseas announced that if someone wants to go and help, we have no problem at all. But make sure about your safety. Buildings are collapsing. Um, Corona is still there. So personally, I, I took the decision to go there and we start like helping the people around, supporting the people because how can I say it like haram in English? Haram these people. Haram means... Like, my heart is breaking on those people. They're all all poor people. Adding to that, most of the people who live there are all the elder people. So they have no one to help them but us. So that's why I was like, I'm not going to even think about it. I'm going to stay clean and sanitized and put my mask on. But those people are priority right now. Absolutely. And most of the people from SB help us. I think you start to see posts on their sb instagram right now
1: yeah i've but been watching i've been following and that's why we're fundraising for sb because i know that you guys always do incredible so much. we
2: couldn't take wow. most we couldn't take that much of photos because we were really we were busy with helping people much more than taking photos because mm-hmm. taking photos right now it's not that priority of course the priority is helping people
1: of course it makes sense we've been supporters of what you're doing for years but now it feels more important than ever to make some noise about you guys and what you're doing so maybe it's worth talking a little bit about SB Overseas and what you normally do and what you're doing at the moment you know in the Mm -hmm. aftermath of the explosion and what your plans are in the next few weeks and months as well.
2: I can can update you with all the information that you've asked for. First of all I would really thank you for the support we're really appreciated for your help and for your like, supporting online and like, trying to raise funds for us to help the people who's, who's in trauma right now. As SB, we're, we did several visits in the field like to know what we can help. We've also helped the people cleaning all this uh, shattered glass and uh, all this uh, rocks and uh, dust from their houses. We're planning right now for civil distributions we're focusing on the area that's the most close to the explosion place. We will be distributing uh, food parcels and water and milk for the kids who are who's under, under one year old. This is as a first emergency response. The second step will be helping the people to reconstruct their houses to be, to make it livable at least not make them displaced because now they're living outside the house or they build a small tent next to the building until someone helps them to rebuild this collapsed house. We will help the displaced people who's, who doesn't even have a house anymore by collaborating with other organizations if they have, for example, uh, pre-built houses, like, you know, containers, containers' houses, to put it in a place to make them, like, just have a shelter at least this is going to happen in like in the next couple of weeks
1: amazing and are you focusing specifically on syrian and palestinian and displaced people or is no, it everybody, no, no. Need We're, help?
2: everybody needs help right now the most effective people uh, there are lebanese because the more you go close to the port the more it is lebanese people live in there because the people who works in the port most of them are lebanese and then as a You go far away, it is more Syrians. So Mm -hmm. that's why the most affected people are Lebanese, actually. But for sure, there is Syrians are affected. We're focusing on the area who's most affected, not filled with Syrians or Lebanese or any other nationality specifically. No, we're focusing on the most affected people, no matter what nationality they
1: are. That's beautiful. How are you feeling now today, like waking up in the morning and remembering that it's real? Oh,
2: as I said at the beginning, it was quite hard. But when you go and see all of these people working on the field, I'm having goosebumps right now. <laughs> you feel the power of youth. You feel the power of life. A we will not die. Right? Exactly, exactly. The community over there, you feel like we're not. this is not the end. We will rise again. We will survive. We survived and we will survive again. The, those those people gave me the power, actually. So I'm feeling better right now because of the people who, who I met there, how they're working based on their humanitarian soul, not based on what nationality are you or what your origins or where, where you come from. No, they're working by their hearts. And I'm pretty sure if you came here, you will feel this power, you will feel this energy. I'm really energized and charged by them. I have a message that maybe it will deliver to the word. We will rise like a phoenix, we will not die. So this is me, this is my message to the world. I hope it spread widely.
1: (laughs) You're giving me goosebumps now because it's so true that like people are amazingly resilient, resilient. That's the word that I'm looking for that, you know, you guys have been through a lot already and you know that you can get through this again. And also we are one nation. We're not Lebanese.
2: We're not Syrians. We're not Bangladeshi. We're not (coughs) Sudanian. We're not anyone. We are humans. We're one human being. That's what I felt when I went there. We are one human being and we need to help each other. I I don't know, I I can't take the picture of my mind into your mind, but there, there's no nationalities. Lebanon used to have this problem like Syrian Lebanese, Syrian Lebanese, but there, like there was nothing like this actually at this moment, at that moment. there was only human beings.
1: That's so beautiful that actually this united you f- for the first time because you're all in this together, something Thanks that God. you're all facing. Thanks, God. Wow. And also beyond that, I think outside of Lebanon that the international community stands with you as well, that the world has been talking about Beirut and eyes have been on Beirut and hearts have been with Beirut. And I can really, really see that, that so many people have wanted to do something, wanted to help, aren't on the ground and you guys are on the ground. So what we can do is support the people that are. So we all, I think, as an international community want to thank you for being there and showing up and being so positive and being being so incredible and strong through this time thank you so much jess we really appreciate the support don't worry if you're not on the ground
2: we are on the ground just pray for us and we'll be fine don't worry
1: i know it's impossible not to feel empathy when listening to jeff and ahmed Havas' stories but now we have to take action Of course, most of us can't jump on a plane to start digging through the rubble, but we can support those that are. The Worldwide Tribe is fundraising for SB Overseas right now, and the donation link will be in the episode notes for this podcast, as well as in my Instagram bio, at the Worldwide Tribe. We very rarely actively ask for donations, but it's impossible to look away right now, and I know that there is power in this community. If you don't have the means to donate, even sharing this episode with someone who might is enough. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. thank you to Catherine Hagianni for being my constant support and making this episode happen. Ez Stone for mixing this episode and Alexander Wells for composing the original score.